Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host. and I am once again honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show goes where you go when you have those profound mastermind moments. You run into somebody and have a conversation. You have the opportunity to sit in on a conversation and something you hear or something you experience gives you one of those aha moments or reveals something to you that moves you forward in a way that you weren't expecting. And what happens when you're in these places? Sometimes, like right now, you can hear a bird chirping in the background, kids playing in the playground off in the distance. Maybe it's ambient noise coming from the next table. Maybe it's the occasional vehicle going by. We're coming to you today from my high-tech studio, which consists of my laptop and my headset on my sumptuous balcony here in Las Vegas, Nevada, known to me as the hottest city in the world. And what has been hot in this industry, at least for as long as I've been in it, which at this point is well nigh 20 years, outsourcing. I remember when I first became an entrepreneur and I jumped into a full-time back in September 2005, there was this word out there, it's called outsourcing. What does it mean? Now, at the time, the trap I was in, or the trap I was in, is that, candidly, my rates just weren't high enough for me to outsource anything. So within a year, after I gained uh, quite a reputation for what I was doing at the time, I was able to significantly raise my rates and build a whole team around what I was doing. Five years later, I shut down the whole shop and moved into other businesses, and even throughout all of it, Outsourcing has been a part of what I do in business. My podcast reach system is designed in such a way where I can either do the whole thing myself or I can outsource it to a few people who I've given the system to and they become familiar with it. So at any time I can reach out and it only requires moderate training and say, hey, I'm a little heavy on the reaches here. Uh, would you like to get a piece of this project? And they say, yes. I also have a graphic designer I've been working with for 17 years. I have a producer for this show who has been with us since pretty much the very beginning of the show, actually. Actually, literally the very beginning of the show. She was with us even before we launched Business Creators Radio. And I've had some folks who've helped me with developing our everything podcasting group. I've occasionally worked with copywriters, editors, other forms of designers. I've had coaches. I've had consultants. And I've been some of these things for other people. I'm excited today to have with us Derek Gallimore, and he's somebody who's passionate about outsourcing. He's a creator of the Outsource Accelerator. Now, what he says about outsourcing is the most transformative business tool available today, and that's in line with his commitment to help people integrate it into their businesses and see them thrive. Now, he's been in this for over 20 years. He's been outsourcing for seven years. He lives or has lived in Manila, the Philippines, the world's outsourcing capital. And I've worked with 
people in the Philippines, and they're fantastic. And he's been doing that for three or four years. He's lived and worked in five countries and traveled through dozens more. And his story goes all the way back to his adolescence when he was 17 years old. And we're going to discover more about that in just a minute, because I think you'll enjoy hearing it more from him than from me. Whew, Derek Gallimore, come on in. The weather's fine. Hi, Adam. Wow, what an introduction. Thank you so much. and so excited to join your podcast. I had to pare that back considerably because I am not even sure I'm worthy to be in your presence. And this is my show. So before we have what I know is going to be a very exciting conversation about outsourcing, which is both enervating and controversial, what I want to do is take a step back. And I want people to have the opportunity to get to know you a little bit more. So tell us a bit about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Yeah, well, thanks so much. Um, look, I'm I'm an entrepreneur through and through, and I, I think that some of my earliest memories were kind of like scheming, um, kind of playground schemes of, of how I could set up little businesses and schools and things like that. So, um, you know, for better or worse, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur through and through, uh, and I've very much experienced the, all of the, the highs and lows of the entrepreneurial journey. Uh, but you know, I'm, I'm stuck with this and, and it's an incredible journey, incredible ride. Um, and yeah, really, really enjoy it. and still learning every day, every day, learning so much. In some ways, we have that in common. When I was a kid, I found out how to bulk order all the candy that we were supposed to sell to benefit the class dance and the class recital and the class this and the class prom and the class that. And I was going to go into business actually selling the stuff. The only challenge is, is I wasn't able to find the market. I also had a grass cutting business, which consisted of three yards, one of which was my parents. And I also had a trouble finding the market. I used to read the penny saver looking for business opportunities. I had a challenge connecting to the market. Those were, there were two challenges there. Number one, I grew up in a very rural area, way out in the sticks, and there just wasn't anybody around. And the other thing is this was pre-internet. So I did not have the ability to reach people from a distance. Fast forward to when I was in college at Penn State in the late 1990s, I used to stand in line for the computer lab. Oh, is that dated? The idea that we used to not have computers in our rooms and we would stand in line for a computer. And I would go in there and, yeah, I'd do my term papers and everything, but I spent a lot of time uh, doing two things. And one of them is about to shock you. But let's start with the tame one first. The tame one is, at the time I had my 1988 Chevrolet Camaro and I was building out a competition auto sound set up for it. In other words, a system. I... Loved reading about custom kick panels, insulation, wire gauges, head units, subwoofers. And that was one of the early industries that tapped into the world of online marketing, where you could buy the stuff through websites. So I was on that computer in that lab trying to reverse engineer the whole process, figuring out, okay, how could I market this? How could I become somebody in this? And what held me back then is not knowing what questions to ask. At the time, I mean, I had the internet, I could have done it. And the other thing I used to look at in that computer lab was porn sites. This is a shocking thing. Now, here's where that turned out to be valuable from a business perspective. At the time, you remember our computer monitors were a lot different. They were basically little curved TV screens. They didn't have anything resembling the resolution. Uh, internet website technology was nothing near what it was. And it was woefully unequipped to handle 
such a sensory heavy industry of uh, the sounds, the sights, the feelings. So I was very curious about the use of designs to make it as interesting and alluring as possible. And I also found out that there was this thing called view source, which is available on your internet browser today, where you right click it and you view source. And it was actually from viewing those e-commerce sites and those porn sites. That's how I learned how to do HTML coding. I would download the code into a notepad, play with it, watch things change, and then re-upload it to a GeoCities account. And actually, at Penn State, we were each given um, individual websites based on an FTPR. It would be something like student.psu.edu forward slash your email username or something like that. Not a little website going there because I was just playing around. So what I gained from that is that sometimes you'll find the information you need in unexpected places. And it's also okay. I, mean, I was there, I was supposed to be a political science student on my way to going to law school and I was more intrigued by e-commerce. That was a clue right there and it informed where I ultimately ended up and how I broke into entrepreneurship. And really the biggest learning lesson of all is that it's anything's possible when you're willing and have the brilliance and the passion to discover it for yourself. I didn't care about mathematics. I still don't. I can't solve an isosceles trapezoid for why. As far as geology, I understand how erosion works and I know how thunderstorm works. Thunderstorms are created. And as far as econ, I actually know how to create a recession, print a lot of money. So uh, <laughs> I, these are things that I understood on the surface level. But when I was able to go deep, I made that discovery. Now, as I mentioned earlier, once I became a full-time entrepreneur, I was told outsource, 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 but I literally didn't have the money. And so I sought out information, how to raise your rates and increase the perception of your value. And since I discovered outsourcing, it's been something where on the one hand, it's like I, I've been there, done that, have the t-shirt, uses the dust rag, threw it away. And it's also something that has been a vital part of what I do and what allows me to be successful and have the flexibility to, to both expand and contract the business, depending on my situation, my position, my needs, and my wants. So what I want to do here is I want to shift gears a little bit and uh, oh, make nice. this more about you. Good learnings. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And uh, what I want to do here is I want to actually start to get some thoughts from you. And the first is and we've seen this over the past two years since the bug hit. And some of the stuff were things I've been predicting for a long time would eventually happen as a resort of some calamity. Employment norms are quickly changing. So what are some of the changes you've seen and what does the future of work look like to you? Yeah, thanks, Adam. So it's, it, as you can you know, anecdotally see, employment is completely changing, absolutely. And, you know, the things that are, I suppose, catalyzing that is the technology, like the, the continual march of technology, the fact that we are using all of these tools like Zoom, like Slack, like Gmail, uh, like Asana for project management. It basically allows us to work from anywhere. Also, the significance of the internet economy, as um, Mark Andreessen says, is software is eating the world. Everything is going from products to services to software and IP. Uh, and also with the bug, as you call it, you know, people have been forced to change their habits. 
And that was, you know, for a period in time, almost every company in the world were forced to examine how they worked, whether they needed to be in an office, and they were forced to try different approaches to work. What that does is it sort of teaches people and introduces people to the option of employing people on a global scale from a global workforce instead of their localized uh, employee talent pool. And so for as long as we can remember, and certainly for all of the history of man, we have um, communicated and cooperated and employed people within our local vicinity. But now with the changes in industry, with the changes in technology, and also the habitual changes that we are seeing with the embracing of remote work, we can now employ people on a global scale. And that is really significant when, especially now, as we kind of head into a recession and with COVID as well, when things were really tough for a lot of businesses, people were motivated to look to see how they could save costs and employment costs recently have been absolutely soaring. Um, you know, salaries are higher than ever. And also the availability of skilled staff is lower than ever. And so people have been forced to look further afield and see where they can source the staff that they need, the skills that they need, but also whether they can um, get better prices than what's available in their local market. And this is really global employment. It's been happening for 30 years uh, in earnest, but really um, it's accessible to small and medium-sized businesses only for about the last 10, 10 years, really. Uh, and now it has become so normalized that it is turnkey and super easy. And soon it will become so normalized, it will become default as opposed to a kind of kooky outlier. Uh, and I predict in the next 10 to 20 years, 80% um, of businesses will have at least one offshore employee. So it's, it's going to hit this inflection point. Uh, and the way that we sort of see employment generally is going to dramatically change over the next 10 to 20 years. No, I think that's very much the case and the big shift, and this is one I've been predicting. Now, I understand that there are some lines of work in some industries where it's necessary for somebody to work from a certain time to a certain time. If you're in manufacturing or production, if you're in a service industry type, if you are in public service, such as law enforcement, uh, firefighting, medical services, what have you, and there are others I'm sure that I'm forgetting here, there is a necessity for people to be on the scene from a certain time to a certain time to provide public-facing availability and to monitor processes. I get that. However, what, what went along with that is this industrial revolution paradigm was imposed on pl in places where it really, I don't think, ever fits. So now you have offices with these cubicle farms and people expected to somehow show up at an exact time, leave at an exact time, have their mandated hour break for lunch and two 15-minute, uh, well, they would use them as smoke breaks or hang out by the water cooler breaks or what have you. And then you see studies, which I've been citing for years. I don't have one right in front of me, but there are several that came to substantially the same conclusion. Is that folks in those environments... If you looked at the amount of time that they spent during the day that was actually benefiting and adding value to the company came out to something like two hours and 53 minutes, where'd the mm -hmm. rest of the time go? 
pointless meetings, cubicle drop-bys, dealing with bullshit office politics. I, I could just go on and on and on. And, and, and a lot of it was just wasted, in my opinion, on email etiquette. I deal with this with clients sometimes who have moved in the entrepreneurial space to come from a corporate background and some of the corporate habits come with them. There's this one startup I can think of in particular, and they're one of my success stories in terms of moving a business into revenue and helping them really achieve a market position within a specific niche is when I first worked with them for the past few months, I had to go to the client and I, and I was already getting a very high retainer for my services. And I had to say, look, um, I'm going to have to charge you more because the amount of time each day I spend going through and, oh, and here's a screenshot and I counted it just this morning, 149 emails between everybody in this organization, me having to sort through this and find out if there's anything for me. And Mm -hmm. in all of that, in this particular case, I'm thinking of one of those emails was of any pertinence to me at all. Now the solution for that was to get them off of their cover your ass uh, CC happy culture. That was a piece of it. Another is to create a culture that it's not necessary for everybody to jump in and say, yeah, great. I agree. That's awesome. Not necessary. And third, to move discussions about actually getting things done to a project management system that had a imperative around creating dependencies where for one person to begin their work, another person has to finish theirs and mark something off and then it notifies the other person. So that's one way of solving that. But overall, I think one of the silver linings of the pandemic and or the endemic or whatever it is now is that we saw people actually can work at home. And if all the company was getting was two hours and 54 minutes, why did you have to add an hour and a half of commute on each end every day? Why did you have to have them spend money on gas? Why did you have to have them uh, have one of the, if you have a a married couple or a cohabiting couple, have one of them basically work just to pay for the daycare. And another interesting thing happened. They found out that in many cases, when you put, let people work from home, the actual amount of time they spent that was of some value to the company went up to like four or five hours. They also found out that customer service reps could be logged in from 10 to six or whatever their shift was, but they didn't have to be sitting by the computer the whole time. They can install an app on their phone and Hey, if a call comes in or a chat comes in, yeah, maybe they went to Starbucks or maybe they went to walk the dog or whatever, but when that dings, you answer. And as long as you answer and you do a competent job and you deliver the value of the customer, where does it freaking matter where you're sitting? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, to me, and those, what, what you're talking about, elements. I think, yeah. is there's, there's a lot of different principles to organizational design. And also, I don't think that there's any one correct way or, or one, you know, um, guiding light in terms of how to run your organization. I think there's a lot of benefits to remote work and home-based work, but also I see there's a lot of criticisms of remote and home-based work. Um, yes. You know, obviously Tesla has just demanded that their staff all go back uh, and work and Elon has his reasons for that. Um, but uh-huh. you know, and what you discuss in terms of email management, all of these are principles of organizational design and also culture and process design. And these, you know, there, there are there are good ways of running things. There are bad ways of running things. And there are a lot of different ways of running things. You know, and what is interesting, I think, is these principles apply to outsourcing or employment or offshore staff uh, equally. 
you know, and some people say to me, you know, how do you, how do you build offshore teams? And the vast majority of the principles are identical to building your own local team, you know, and building an organization. A lot of these principles that you're discussing now is just sort of organizational design. And um, yeah, you're right. There's, there's sort of a lot of different ways of skinning a cat, I suppose, and building efficiency. And I think those efficiencies always have to be reviewed and looked at because you can kind of slip into bad habits as an organization. Um, but yeah, it's all, all very relevant. Yeah, well, I will tell you, I have two office supervisors who don't want to be skinned. So their suggestion is that we say there's more than one op- way to open their can of gourmet canned food. Right. So, uh, <laughs> so I, just wanted to, I, just wanted, I just wanted to point that out. But, and while we're at it, that's another great thing is, is it, for some folks, it's just so awesome to be able to work and have your cat or your dog or your snake or your iguana or whatever your pet is or whatever pet owns you right there. That's just so freaking awesome. I love, I love being in my home office or my living room. Or sometimes when I do my mastermind calls to the in-demand expert group, I do them from my dining room table because I, for some reason, I can just get a really good camera view there. And uh, it's great when my cash just hang out with me. That's just awesome. Now, yeah, you also raise a point that there are some concerns about, well, these people that are working remotely, all they're going to do is they're going to they're gonna spend the time working on their side business and goofing off and looking for other jobs. And as much as, and I've said many times on this show that uh, Elon Musk is somebody who I look to as an example of innovation and entrepreneurship, nobody's perfect. And his Elon's not perfect moment was the one where he said, well, if they don't want to come into the office, they can pretend to work somewhere else. And I think that that actually, in his own way, he highlighted one of the challenges with that is there's this perception of what work, quote unquote, looks like. And so if it's not in this setting that we're expecting, then it's not really work. And I'd love to see us do more to get rid of that. Yeah, and look, I I think it depends on the type of work you're doing as well. You know, like it's, it's very difficult to make generalizations about what employment is because, you know, a checkout clerk is very different to a Starbucks employee and they're very different to accountants and they're very different to architects and they're all very different to developers. And so, you know, it's, it's very difficult to say sort of carte blanche that work is this and people are best optimized doing this. Um, But, you know, generally I think that now there's more options rather than less options uh, and it just takes, again, sort of organization, conscious organizational design to figure out what is best for your company. But also, you know, what, what is necessarily best for the company isn't always ideal for the individual. And, you know, I think a lot of employees, they're obviously looking out for their own interests, their own lifestyle, their own balance. But, you know, is, is the mission of a company to support an employee's lifestyle or is it to sort of better the company and what happens when those two things are orthogonal, Um, you know, and so I think this is what society is coming up against now. Um, You know, it's easy for employees generally to say, look, you know, we all want to be pro-lifestyle. We all want to work from home. We all want to do this sort of stuff. But is that actually, is the main motivator, the interest of the company or is that sort of their lifestyle? So, you know, there's there's a lot of factors involved, I think. But again, this is not 
you know, outsourcing is not global employment. These are just organizational principles and cultural principles as well that um, are valid for anywhere in the world. Well, I've uh, cited on a few of my episodes the example of Dan Price, the CEO of Gravity Payments, and uh, and I've accidentally called him Dan Scott a couple times. I have no idea why. Maybe I'm thinking of that TV show, The Office, and how it's actually the diametric opposite. I don't know. And one of the things he's famous for is that, and, and there were a few exceptions to this, but as a general rule, he raised the base salary of everybody who worked for Gravity Payments to $75,000. In his interviews, he says the catalytic moment for that is when he found out that one of his, I think it was one of his account executives, I may be off by a point here, but you get the general idea. He went, stopped by her desk when she wasn't there and noticed that she had on her desk an application for a job at McDonald's. And it led him to think, if my employees are so insecure about their lifestyle that they're having to work at McDonald's in order to keep their job here at Gravity? How are they adding value to me? So two hours and 53 minutes? Well, what if they're spending the rest of that time and even some of the two hours and 53 minutes agonizing over, am I going to be able to pay the rent? Is Bobby going to get his braces? Can I send Judy to band camp? Is Jody going to make it to the prom? Is Antoine going to go to college? These are sure, some, sure. But I, these are I some think big there's side to that story yeah. as well. Um, he, he's come out to be quite a controversial figure. He was oh, paying yeah. himself millions of dollars per year. And then he had an issue that yeah. he didn't want profits or distributions to go to the other equity partners. So he basically, There's instead of making profits for the business, There's he was paying himself millions of dollars a year. And then he was also paying his staff a lot so that, the other equity partners that he had an issue with would actually get no distribution. So, you know, it, it's a that complex could, that picture. Could, that, it's a, that, it's that a complex could, picture. That could be, and a lot, and a lot, and a lot of good stuff has been done in the name of evil, as I like to say. Uh, but you think about, and and what you're saying may actually be correct. And I also don't believe that him lowering his own salary to seventy five thousand dollars a year means he lives on seventy five thousand dollars a year. I, I imagine he gets millions out of that company every year through stock options, uh, distributions, and his. Uh, I, I don't think he's doing all this publicity stuff for free. Uh, I, I mean, he, he, he may also be doing consulting for other companies and getting paid a lot more than seventy five thousand dollars for it. You don't really know, but what I want to focus on here is just one quick story about it. When the pandemic hit, his employees, not wanting to lose a good thing, came together and went to him asking that their salaries be cut by over half because they wanted to keep their jobs. And they recognized that they kept taking their $75,000 that the company was going to go under because with the disruption of the economy, a lot less people were doing credit card processing at the time. Well, he granted their request, he cut their salaries, and then once the uh, the economy came back, so to speak, he not only raised them back up to 75000 but uh, the story goes that he gave them either all or a significant portion of back pay for their sacrifice. Now, what would drive people to do that? And I think this is where we actually move away from Dan Price specifically and more into organizational culture and loyalty bonds and the impact of lifestyle is if somebody's been making $75,000 for a while, there's a good chance they're not carrying a lot of credit card debt. They're probably doing just fine on their apartment. 
rent or their or their mortgage payment. Uh, their car note's probably just fine. They probably have a little bit stashed under the mattress too to get them through the hard times. So by giving them that ability to have security in their lifestyle, they could take the hits. And they also recognize that they might not have that same opportunity somewhere else. And now they have a vested interest in that company surviving. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's good to get people on board. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, and this is and, and where this ties back into outsourcing is we, you know, being both somebody who's outsourced and somebody who has been an outsource, the questions come up of, well, we are a web designer. Why should you usually get paid $100 an hour? Okay, so you have a web designer on board and maybe you're giving them, a, maybe uh, you're having them do X amount of work that's maybe seven hours of work a month for them. And you have them on a retainer for 500 bucks a month. So they rate it out at $100 an hour. Well, you might've caught what I just did there is they're not necessarily gonna have a clock running the whole time. If they got to do a little extra to get the job done, they're well paid for it. If you need them to jump in because some emergency happens, they're well paid for it. They're going to jump in. They're also likely to hold on to you as a client and vice versa because it's a good source of security for them. And they have a vested interest in your business succeeding because they might not get a client that good somewhere else. Sure. Yeah. Everything swings and roundabouts, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But again, when, you know, yeah, these when, principles. Are, so what I what I generally focus on, Adam, and I think is sort of different to the general perspective is is the future is globalized employment. Um, yeah. All of the general employment principles that you're mentioning here um, have been happening for the last 50 or 100 years. You know, th yes. there are contractors. Um, and, you know, within, within the employment umbrella in the US, for example, um, for, you know, decades at least, there have been full-timers, part-timers, contractors, um, advisors, experts, um, and also agencies, consultancies, things like that. Um, all of these things have existed. What has not existed is the access to the global marketplace. Okay. And, you know, um, that is the difference that is happening now. And significantly, what that does, you know, and all of these principles still apply. When you're, when you're going global, you can still have contractors or full-timers or part-timers or students or interns. But the thing is, you are picking from a global marketplace instead of your localized marketplace what that significantly does is two major things instead of accessing a local market which is your typically your own geography or hometown you might have a catchment of ten thousand people uh, or a million people even if you're in a big city uh, when you go global you have a catchment of eight billion people it is literally near infinite number yes. of candidates for your role. That is that is benefit one. So when you talk about a skills shortage, it is no longer a skills shortage because you can tap into the entire global workforce significantly as well. And this is what really, you know, kind of turns a lot of people to offshoring is that generally you can save about 70%, seven zero on your staffing costs, okay? Yeah. And um, that is really significant when more and more businesses today go, more of their expenses go towards salaries, okay? As we move into services and technology and software, more and more of a company's expenses go to salaries. And so if you can save 70% on those salary costs, 
it can really, really advance the interests of the business. Now, there are two options with that. You can either save a ton of money, and that's great, but also you can look at it in a different perspective. For the same cost as what you would pay a local uh, workforce, you could triple your staff, okay? And then as an entrepreneur, as a businessman, you can sort of explore the ideas of what can I do with my business? How can I grow my business? How can I develop and innovate if I had three times the staff for the same cost base? And that is where offshore staffing gets really, really exciting. The fact is you can, there's no longer a skills shortage like there is desperately in the US right now because you are, you are working from a pool of 8 billion people. Uh, and also while you're at it, uh, you can save about 70% on your staff costs. And these, these principles apply to virtually any business in the world, any sector, even if you're a plumber or an electrician or a baker, um, you know, but also if you're an architect or a developer or a web firm, you can access the global talent pool and also be in line to save an incredible amount of money while you do. Yeah, I'd like to point something out for our altruist listeners as well. You mentioned 70 percent, and that's awesome. Uh, sometimes the savings is more like ninety-five percent, because in certain areas the going rate is actually ninety-five percent less. So Absolutely. imagine, Absolutely. so imagine, if you dramatically overpaid those people, and you are still saving seventy percent, are you think you're building a talent pool? Um, a cadre of devoted employees or contractors who are going to be very enthusiastic about working with you because you make their lives a hell of a lot easier. Yeah. I mean, think, think about that. So, um, yeah, absolutely. yeah, what's also interesting about outsourcing is sometimes when people hear the word outsourcing, they're all of a sudden seeing visions of India, the Philippines, Bangladesh, and Indonesia. But there are so many markets. You point out 8 billion people. It's almost boundless. Uh, a, a business colleague of mine, who, who's a fr- also a friend of mine, has discovered that this whole thing of outsourcing and remote work has become a really big deal in Venezuela. And he's been working with uh, web developers, virtual assistants, and more based out of Venezuela. And you think about it, that's a place that is an economic shithole basically and uh and the idea of uh, making twenty dollars a day there is actually a pretty big deal so he actually has been able to implement something that i find very interesting there's a debate here in the united states it's not all that loud but it is there if you know where to look that people should be paid to interview for companies because they are giving up their time to roll the dice so he's come up with a model where if he wants to work with somebody, he has no shortage of projects he'd like to get done. Lots of things that are on the back burner or things that he knows if he could just get these up, they could lead to another stream of income or move them forward somehow. So he'll give somebody like $300, $400 for 30 days and then say, okay, well, uh, I'd like you to do this, this, and this and just see what kind of job they do and overall what it's like to work with them. So essentially... I think outsourcing can be a potential solution to that debate as well. I found this out myself when I, this was over 10 years ago when I used to have a web development firm. 
a lot of our biggest clients in that firm started out as small clients. They would come to us wanting some small thing like a, like a, you know, back then they used to call them squeeze pages or that want to add plugins to their WordPress site or something, which anybody can do. You, you know, you go in, search, install, activate. Uh, the reason they would give us these small projects, and I caught on to it after the first couple of times, is this was them paying me and my firm for the opportunity to see what it would be like to work with them. So I began yeah. to notice we do really we do really good work on these small projects, and next and then uh, just give it a give it a week or two, and uh, after they've gotten done with all the other people they gave a few hundred dollars for to do little things, and they've decided that we're the ones they want to work with, then they come with the Ponderosa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, again, that that's yeah, that that's sort of the principles of how to find good staff, isn't it? Like, um, and often, you know, I. I don't believe CVs or portfolios work if you can actually give people a test. Um, and, you know, the first thing is an engagement. But generally what you find with employees, it's a little bit different because an employee is fully engaged with an employer uh, and you can't do a month trial with an employee because they yeah. can't give up their safe, secure job and career right. just to try it with you. So, you know, it's a little bit harder to test and date people um, in the employment market compared to agencies. Now, of course, with agencies, it's very different because agencies take on small projects, large projects. And then if the smaller project is a success, then it can migrate over to a larger project. And that's, you know, that's very sensible. That's very sensible indeed. So, um, yeah, yeah, again, it's um, all, again, you know, like principles of recruitment and HR, you know, there are people that, you know, there's obviously tens of thousands of books on how to run effective job interview processes and get the best talent and things like that. There's, there's a lot of different principles there. Yeah. I, I agree. Now this next question might be sort of a, sort of a tie up and we might've covered a piece of this already, but I know you really wanted me to ask you this. So I'm going to do it. Outsourcing as you like to say, is the bad boy of business. And everyone loves to hate outsourcing. Why is this? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, you know, I probably don't need to explain why. Um, it, it's probably the most controversial business tool in business. Um, we, you know, regularly advertise into the US. I'm based in the Philippines. I've been living in the Philippines uh, for nearly 10 years now. Uh, and we advertise into the US. Um, and uh, you would be amazed how many people believe that we are traitors, um, that it is disgusting what we do, uh, and you know it is highly, highly controversial. There are two points, two major opposing points of controversy. One of them is that outsourcing is taking our jobs. Okay, so Americans are really concerned that outsourcing is taking their jobs and destroying their employment and economic opportunities. The second concern with outsourcing is that it exploits the staff in these developing economies that people think that it is akin to slavery. So, you know, like you don't get these sort of accusations if I'm trying to sell Facebook adverts, for example. Um, like it's, it's an incredible industry that attracts so much concern and criticism. Now, you know, I can sort of approach those two items separately, but it's quite interesting to see that on one side of the coin, 
people are absolutely fearful. They don't care about the livelihoods of the people in the emerging economies, and they're absolutely fearful about their own career prospects. And on the other side of the coin, they're not so concerned about their career, but they feel that it's slavery or it's unethical treatment of staff in emerging economies. Now, both of those, I don't want to be so sort of, uh, I, I suppose, um, what, um, um, purposeful about this, but um, both of those are completely, completely wrong, Adam, completely wrong. Now, outsourcing has been happening for 30 years, okay? It has been happening and growing at breakneck speed for 30 years. Every single enterprise company is outsourcing, is offshoring. Uh, and now an increasing amount of small and medium-sized businesses are outsourcing and offshoring. Employment in the U.S., despite having a pandemic, despite having COVID and, you know, one of the sort of um, global upsets in a lifetime, um, employment is at record low levels. And when you get to record low levels, that actually creates problems for the economy. It slows down business. It sends salaries soaring. And so what we are seeing is lowest levels of unemployment in history, despite outsourcing happening in earnest for 30 years. So again, I can't see the argument that outsourcing is causing the destruction of employment. Now, on the other side of the coin, people are very concerned about the ethics of outsourcing. Um, so generally in the Philippines, a very, very, very good salary is about 500 US per month to about $1,000 US per month. That's their base salary. That is a very good salary. Uh, and many people earn half that much, uh, you know, two to three to $400 a month. Is that fair? No, of course not. We want everyone in the world to earn more money. But that is the reality. And that is the economic situation of the Philippines. Currently in the Philippines, you can live very, very, very well for about $750 a month. You know, people that are earning $500 a month are graduates at you know, 24 years of age. And I'm sure when you were 24 years of age, Adam, you also didn't have as much money as you wanted, but you were climbing that career ladder. Oh so you boy, let me tell you. Let me tell so, you, yeah. So <laughs> I, I want to assure people the ethics of outsourcing is wonderful. It is giving, it is not slavery. It is actually giving people in emerging economies the opportunity to enter and work in the global economy. They're not just stuck into their emerging economy um, and they can access global employers and global opportunities. And that is a huge opportunity for, uh, for the emerging economies. So outsourcing is a win-win despite people thinking that you know, it's the worst thing ever to happen, ever. Um, well, so it's, it's funny, yeah. the perception. I, I know that is... That to me, that's just absolutely hilarious. I'm thinking again when I had the web development for term, web development firm, and I had this whole team of project managers and web designers and virtual assistants and everybody else to serve our 47 clients or whatever it was. It was actually a pretty big company. I actually got tired of it because I wasn't realizing the profit margins. I felt like I was firefighting 24/7. I just didn't like the work. Uh, I'll just come out and say that. But I will tell you that one of the superstars of our team was a uh, was a web designer based out of the Philippines. And he um, started out as a subcontractor for uh, 
a digital marketing agency that I, I had a partnership with at the time. And he went out and did his own thing. And I watched his rate go within a year from $15 an hour to $60 an hour. Derek, you're in the Philippines. How hard is it to get $60 an hour over there? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh-huh. But, you know, it's, um, yeah, look, and this is the incredible opportunity. It's still a good deal for people in the West, and it's a great deal for him. And, you know, it's a win-win. It's absolutely win-win for people that can now. But this is the reality is, Adam, whether we like it or not, we now have a gl- single global economy. Your computer is probably from Taiwan. Your watch is maybe from Japan. Um, you know, you're wearing Turkish clothes and, you know, your car is maybe made in Germany. We live in a single global economy. Now, staff migration has always been limited at the borders. Staff and, you know, people cannot cross borders. But now that we live in the world of technology and staff can contribute to your business using a laptop sitting anywhere in the world, the governments and borders have not said that, hey, this is okay. But um, reality is moving faster than what governments can uh, adapt to. And now we have an international global workforce on our doorstep. That has never happened ever before. Now we're used to, you know, all of the food in your supermarkets is probably also imported. Uh, All of your clothes are imported. All of your technology is imported. And now also staffing is going to be sourced from a global pool. And people just don't realize quite how easy and accessible this is now. Okay, I'm not going to get political here because it's not a political show in my personal opinions don't matter. So I'm not going to tell you what side of this debate I'm on. But here in the United States, uh, there's a big thing about particularly our southern border and people crossing it at record rates. Now, what doesn't make the headlines because it just doesn't sell copy and it doesn't piss people off is that there are efforts to curb that by improving the economies of the countries that those people are coming from. Uh, however, at the same time, I don't think that we're doing nearly enough of that. So if we're concerned about a lot of Mexicans or Guatemalans or Hondurans or what have you, well, you know, it's probably a lot of people in uh, Mexico, Guatemala and Honduras who uh, their idea of a living wage, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but let's say it's $1,200 a year. Well, what if they were, what if they were making $600 a month through outsourcing? We could be yeah. uplifting those economies. We could be saving those countries. And, and, uh, and again, this is not political. I'm just stating facts that if somebody were to look into our former President Donald Trump's plan for reducing incoming Im- immigration, there was a feature of it that involved investing in other countries. That just didn't get pressed because it didn't piss people off. At the same time, we didn't do enough of it. So where I think these two things can come together is, I mean, Derek, would you, I mean, I, I I don't, you're not, I mean, I've seen a picture of you and I hear your voice. I'm guessing you're not native to the Philippines. Yes or no. Correct. Correct. Um, You probably, I don't know your life story that much. Um, I'm going to guess that since you came from somewhere else, moving to the Philippines was going to a completely different culture and a different part of the world. And something drove your choice to do there, to do that. 
yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. Okay. So we don't have we won't have to get into the what, but is that better than fleeing your country to trying to get into somebody else's country that doesn't have the capacity to take you and doesn't have its own infrastructure to support you, which is one of the arguments why we should close our southern border, because because there is nothing for you there. Yeah. So absolutely. if some, so somebody absolutely. comes and outsources to your country, now there's something for you there. You can make real money. You can invest that money locally. And once people in a, in a depressed area have a lot of money all of a sudden through this outsourcing thing, well, what are they going to do? They're going to build nice houses. Well, now you've got a construction boom. That's a lot of jobs, local jobs, high paying jobs. And that's revenues and profits for providers of construction materials. We can go all the way down the line about how globalization of employment is actually a way of solving immigration issues and solving world poverty. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Look, I, I don't want to get political either, but no one, no one chooses where they are born. And what is a reality is that, you know, people that are born in the first world countries have significantly more opportunities than people that are born in third world countries. Now, you know, is that right or wrong? Is that fair or unfair? I I don't, I, you know, it's not even for me to comment, but the way that governments and borders are currently set up, it keeps people within their confines and they are not able to migrate but the the reality as well is that the vast majority of people do not want to migrate they want to stay with their families with their yes. with their culture that's um, what i forgot yeah that's why i forgot to do that yeah that's um, why i forgot to know, say yeah if you live in but, guatemala but also, doesn't mean you want to leave yeah absolutely and you know i i don't think we need a lot of government coordination and i'm not sort of anti-government or anything like that but um, what is happening now is there were government centrally controlled border and migration limitations. And that's fine because you can't have one country with a population of 5 million people having 10 million people the next day and then 2 million people the day after. The whole right. thing would just collapse. So you need yeah. to control physical migration. But the economic opportunity of people was previously closely connected to that. Because, you know, if there was economic opportunity in one country, you had to migrate there to do the work. But now it is not the case. You can do your work from a laptop sitting wherever you want. And what is really interesting is, you know, it's no longer a lottery of where you are born. Um, And based on, you know, where you are sitting, you can earn more or less money. Now it is more of a meritocracy. And people that have the skills and capability will earn um, their value on a global scale. And that is really exciting. And that's really exciting for employers. And that's really exciting for uh, the employees as well. Yeah. You know, we, I mean, you have the countries that normally come to mind when somebody says the word outsourcing. And, and I also mentioned that Venezuela is a fast-growing market. Another one is Eastern Europe. Uh, you can, I mean, you can live a nice lifestyle in Eastern European countries at a very low cost. You don't have to make a lot of money to live very well there. So you have, a, yeah. you also have in those, in those cultures, in those countries, are a lot of motivated people that what, what Eastern Europe has going for it is there's a lot of access to technology and technological 
capability. So the learning opportunities are there in ways that they may not even be elsewhere. And you do see that there is a fairly significant outsourcing industry there. It's not, doesn't get the same press, but it's certainly there. I know several people that have worked with folks in Romania, for example, where it's a really big deal. Uh, Not a lot of local job opportunities there, but if you're able to acquire a skill that can transcend borders, you can have a nice living in Romania and get to stay there too. Absolutely. You know, and what happened in China, I think, is an example. But again, you know, people people are unhappy, whatever the outcome, it seems. But when the West started manufacturing to China, they had very low capabilities. They built crap products, but they were very cheap labor. But you fast forward 30 or 40 years and the quality has surpassed the best manufacturers in the world. And China, after only 30 or 40 years, now has the best manufacturing capability in the world. So they went from, you know, absolutely laughable crap to the best, highest quality people in the world. That is incredible. You know, and that is only after sort of one generation. Now, what has happened in terms of the costs is that they have gone from bad quality, low cost to a medium cost, very high quality. Okay, and so now the US and places, they're looking to Vietnam and to Thailand, where the cost is lower to Mexico as well, but also the quality is lower. And now, like any market, the US or any consumer has a choice. Do you want then um, mid-cost, very high quality, or do you want to go with a lower cost, lower quality? And that is also happening with uh, professional services, with staffing, with staff services. The Philippines also started out 30 years ago for staffing, uh, offshore staffing. Um, It started out and it was very bad quality. It was crap, but it was very cheap. But after 30 years, the Philippines is now best in the world at it. It is very high quality and you can get everything from, sure, a call center agent, but to the best developers in the world, to Hollywood movie producers, to CGI, to animation, um, to special effects, any of these things, you can get the best in the world now in the Philippines. And the cost has gone from very, very low to a sort of lower mid-level cost compared to other outsourcing destinations. So this is how the world progresses. And you fast forward another 100 or 200 years and you know, all of these countries will have very high competencies and no one will be living in poverty and we will all be benefiting from the global economy. And that is really powerful. And the point I want to make here is that this discussion of globalization you and I have had, and globalization is another one of those dirty words that uh, gets thrown around a lot, is ironically, and we've discussed this without getting political about it, is it's actually can help solve the nationalism question. So for those who want to keep borders, who want to maintain the idea that there are almost 200 separate countries in the world, each with their own cultures, and people who actually would, if given a choice, like to stay where they're from, uh, we're now making that possible. So you mm-hmm. want to have border security, you want to have tight controls on your immigration. Well, cool, you're going to have less people trying to get in. I'm struggling to see how that's a lot, how that's not a win for everybody involved. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
Yeah, it's look, it's it's and it's fast changing. We cannot stop this wave. You know, you cannot turn off the internet. You cannot turn off YouTube. You cannot turn off Twitter, Facebook, all of these things. You know, and like what America, you know, America is in a bit of a silo, but um, the Filipinos are growing up on a diet of YouTube, on NBA, of pizzas, um, you know, on TikTok, uh, in code academies, in these MOOCs, in forums. They, these millennials or whatever, the young generation in the Philippines, they are growing up on exactly the same forums and exactly the same um, platforms, learning exactly the same stuff and absorbing exactly the same culture as the American youth. Now, again, 50 years ago, they did not because there was not the single global cultural economy. Now there is one single, and you know there are cultural differences, of course, but um, YouTube is not just an American thing. It is a global thing. So is Facebook. So are all these you know, videos and um, music and all of this. And we are, whether you like it or not, whether you want to stay one country or not, we are becoming one globalized um, world, one globalized community. And it yeah. is technology that is helping that. And we can't reverse that. We can't turn that off. And yep. along with that comes the global workforce, which is you know really compelling. Yeah. And as we discussed, um, it also can be a nurturing seed for positive nationalism because now people can stay where they are if they choose to stay where they are. I think that's a beautiful thing. Uh, one final story here, and then I'm going to turn it over to you because I want people to discover how they can connect with you and what you do, is um, I remember uh, this was about eight and a half years ago when I moved to Las Vegas. I come from the eastern part of the United States, and I chose Las Vegas for a variety of reasons, some of which had to do with business, some of which had to do with culture, some of which had to do with, I just like Las Vegas, having visited there several times, or here rather, since I'm here now, it's my home. And I got to my townhouse uh, first uh, first day I got here after a three-day cross-country drive. All the stuff that I had uh, shipped ahead, um, I had delivered to the townhouse that morning. That afternoon, I went to a furniture store, ordered all my new furniture because I donate all my furniture rather than haul it. Uh, part of it was altruism. Part of it is I figured out that I was out about the same money whether I kept it or just replaced it. And it was about 7.30, 8 o'clock. And I figured, and I even went to the grocery store. And, uh, you know, me being an unmarried male, you're probably not going to believe this. I actually filled my refrigerator. I know. Stop right there. And, uh, and uh, I'm looking around, I'm looking around uh, my empty townhouse, and I've got this one folding chair and this one inflatable mattress that my cats just destroyed with their claws. And, uh, and I'm thinking, you know, I could go for a cigar right now. So what did I do? I didn't, I, I didn't know much about that particular part of Las Vegas. But I wanted to go to a cigar shop and have a cigar. So what did I do? Pulled out this thing I carry in my pocket, which is more powerful than the first computer I had in 1993. Opened up this thing called a web browser and typed Cigar Lounge 89128, let's go. Uh, cigar Lounge, that's where I wanted to go. 89128, that was the zip code. Let's go was just me being cheeky. Found out there was one three blocks away. 20 minutes later, I'm sitting in a lounge with a BSG. I searched globally for something that was right down the street and around the corner. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, I mean, that's, that's very micro, but I just wanted to bring that up to illustrate the point. So we're near the top of the hour and I could chat with you for days on this. Uh, You can tell that there's a lot of passion around this, 
But as we wrap up here, I know you are the creator of Outsource Accelerator. So just tell us a little bit about that. Uh, the website for our listeners is www.outsourceaccelerator.com. That's www.outsourceaccelerator.com. Look in the show notes. It's right there. And just tell me a bit about how your organization works and how people can gain by engaging with it. Yeah, thanks, Anne. Look, very simply, we are like the booking.com or the trip advisor for the outsourcing industry. So we are a marketplace. We are an advisory. Uh, we are a di- directory for the world's outsourcing firms. Our directory lists about 3,500 professional BPO or outsourcing firms. Uh, and we also have about 15,000 pages of content that helps people understand what outsourcing is. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel. We also have a podcast channel. Uh, and we just generate a ton of information and education and awareness building for outsourcing uh, and the outsourcing industry and how to build global teams for your business. Uh, and on that website, it's all completely free, but you can also get three free quotes uh, if you want to start your outsourcing journey. Uh, everything is free uh, and we just basically um, help people uh, get their outsourcing journey started and introduce them to the concept of uh, globalized employment. Yeah. Well, I'd like to point out just two more things about the website. Um, you mentioned the podcast. My main work is helping businesses launch your podcast. So uh, you'll see that there is the Outsource Accelerator podcast. I may uh, dip in for a few of these episodes. I'm seeing a few titles that are looking kind of interesting to me. And I also want to point out to our listeners, and this is actually a personal thing because I love sitting in a cigar lounge with a cigar and my Lenovo made in China laptop open reading a book on Kindle. You have one. It's called Inside Outsourcing, How Remote Work, Offshoring, and Global Employment is Changing the World. Uh, We touched on a few of the topics here. I encourage our listeners to go to that website, get that book, download it, and you'll get a much even fuller picture than what Derek and I covered today. So Derek Gallimore, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. Thank you so much. Been a, been great. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the business creators radio show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network. So you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you until next time. Have a great day. Take care.